and welcome to Phenomena, the podcast where we talk about women who have been written out of or underrepresented in Irish history. I am your host, Maria Butler, PhD student and bummer arounder during lockdown. Um, I am here again with my friend Morgan Ormond, all the way from Baltimore, Maryland. Morgan is the writer of the Earth Break podcast, which premiered at Tribeca Film Festival and features Jenny Slate from Obvious Child and Big Mouth. Nice pedigree to have on our podcast. So this week we are reaching the second and final part of our first two-part episode about serial killer Lizzie Halliday. So I am super excited to find out what she did next. Morgan told us about her last week. So just to refresh our memory, I am going to recap as much as I can remember. Morgan will tell me if it's right or not. Yeah. So Lizzie, Irish gal, moved to America with her family in the hope of a better future. They <laughs> moved around a lot. She didn't do particularly well in school, so was told to get a job or get married. And she definitely paid attention to the second part because she got married six times. Mm -hmm. Out of those six times, we have two dead, one poisoned, one abandoned and then struck up with again and then abandoned again. And I think I've forgotten one. And then the final one married him potentially seems to have set his house on fire with his disabled son in the house killing him took all his money ran away and then got caught just at the end of the last episode got caught for stealing horses um yeah that about sums it up sweet oh and has also been in prison for arson once yes she's already been to prison and to an asylum Man, the first episode could have just been that, huh? <laughs> <laughs> not as fun, but... Succinct, but not narratively pleasing. Mm -mm. Yeah, so she, she has already spent time in prison and an asylum. And she spends time in prison and then an asylum again for stealing horses. Unfortunately, she wasn't charged with the arson for the house and the barn and the killing of Johnny because they're in a separate county. Paul Halliday, when he couldn't like get his money back, he wanted Lizzie to be charged with arson and the death of his son. So just to remind everybody who's listening, Paul Halliday is husband number six. Husband number six. He went along with the story that Johnny saved Lizzie and it was an accident. But when she was finally caught for the horse thing, and Paul couldn't get his money back, he started singing a different tune and talking about what really happened and that Lizzie set the house on fire and killed his son. But she wasn't charged, couldn't be charged in the county. He couldn't really get any justice for that. And the reason why he went along with her version of events is, still eludes me. But Lizzie, Lizzie's in the asylum and doctors are, are examining her. She's at this time diagnosed with tocophobia which is the pathological fear of pregnancy 
I can get behind that. That's kind of terrifying. <laughs> yeah. And Pearl Mania, I probably butchered that pronunciation. It's an acute mood disorder that happens to women after childbirth, characterized by severe manic reaction. So what we would call postpartum depression today, but not as well understood back then. So doctors, they had no background on Lizzie. They thought she was acting this way out of, because she had either had a miscarriage or partial pregnancy upon reaching them. And they thought that this triggered behaviors resulting in the horse theft. Okay. Horses look like babies. Yeah. Have a miscarriage, steal a horse. They both have carriage related to them. (laughs) Oh, what a metaphor. They also said she suffered from coprolalia, which is the sudden ejection of vile language. So that's, that's what they're thinking her diagnosis and her reasoning is. But they don't know that she's killed husbands and done a bunch of stuff before. So she was eventually released. She was found cured and released back into Paul Halliday's care. And he accepted her. He took her back in and he did keep a record of her crimes in his, like a, his business book where he would record shipments of coal. Oh my God. It's like, it's like Santa Claus. It's the naughty book. It is the naughty book. (laughs) Paul Halliday kept a naughty book of Lizzie Halliday, (laughs) but did nothing else with that. Paul Halliday in 1882 had borrowed a pistol from a neighbor in order to shoot a pig, but he ended up, for whatever reason, never giving it back. And that gun, when you mention, when a gun shows up, it's, you gotta do something with that gun later. All right, check up. <laughs> One day, Paul Halliday went missing. One of his sons comes to visit in order to ask where he went. Lizzie kind of gives him the runaround, won't let him inside the house. Oh, Paul Halliday rebuilt his house, except that he's like a cheap bastard, so it's more like a like a shanty. Okay. And rebuilt the barn. Where did all his money... Oh, you said that they kept his money as evidence. Yeah, that was money for him to, like, buy new horses in another town. But, like, he still he wasn't, like, penniless... Like he still owned property. Okay. He was just like left without money in a in a place. So like he can't get food or travel. <laughs> He's like stuck. So it's like he got his traveler's checks robbed as opposed to like his savings account. Yeah, yeah. So he goes missing. Son comes over. Lizzie won't let him inside. She tells him that Paul has gone to his other property that he bought in the next town or so over. And this was strange to his son because he hadn't heard of Paul owning other property other than this farm. Because he knew his dad was a stingy bastard. Yeah. And then when the son was leaving, he noticed that there were two men who approached him from outside the farm. The town's constable and the town's justice of the peace, Justice Thayer. They had also been watching the farm for any signs of Paul. And 
they finally decided to walk up. Lizzie gave them the same pitch that Paul was in a different town. So they kind of devised a plan to get Lizzie out of the house. The constable took Lizzie to the other town to ask about where Paul is and his property. And the justice searched the house with a few men. They found blood on the floorboards, stained rugs. They found two shovels, but they couldn't find Paul Halliday's body. But also we know from the last episode that Paul Halliday loved digging holes. He did. He did love digging graves for his domestic help when they got sick to save a bit of money. <laughs> so he, he wasn't in his house. So they went and searched the barn. And there's like this pit below the barn where you, you throw manure and hay or whatever. And they went in and they didn't find Paul Halliday, but they found the corpses of two women. Oh, no, she killed women, too. Mm hmm. Lizzie, Lizzie, Lizzie. Also, at this time, it's speculated that Lizzie met a traveling doctor who made house calls. Doctors at the time who made house calls, they'd go into the mountains to collect herbs. And they think she met a doctor, Bond Steele, who gave her information about, like, human anatomy and whether he gave her bottles of chloroform or she stole it, we don't know. But chloroform at the time was used as an uh, anesthetic. Mm-hmm. This, this is actually really sad. Dr. Bonsteele ended up killing himself later during Lizzie's trial because when it comes out that the information he gave her and the chloroform led to people's deaths, he was so filled with grief and when he killed himself, the family blamed Lizzie. So two women were dead. One woman was more decayed than the other, and she was significantly older. They brought them out on like these stretchers so that they could give them like a preliminary autopsy. Mm-hmm. They had been bound with fabric at the wrists and the ankles with their arms crossed over their chest. They were shot in the chest eight times. So I don't know much about guns. Mm-hmm. Are there like eight bullets in a gun? That's a very good question. It did come out during her trial that the pistol that was used was a double action, which needs a lot more effort to turn the cylinder and pull back the hammer at the same time. So it's not like you can accidentally, like, you know, you don't accidentally blast it eight times. You have to, like, really pull back the hammer and and shoot it. And also, I think it only held five or six bullets, which means she would have had to stop and reload. Okay, interesting. So, yeah, definitely going out of her way to try and kill these women. So Lizzie, in the other town with the constable, the constable gets a telegram telling him to arrest Lizzie. They still couldn't find Paul, but they expanded the search. They were asking people in town. And this is another one of my favorite bits. (laughs) Witnesses in town stated that they saw Paul with his wife a few days ago. Lizzie was driving a horse and buckboard with a male passenger. The passenger was wasn't really moving 
They kept their face averted and their head hung low and a hat, a large hat in the brim pulled down over his face. So did she drive around with a corpse in her body? She weakened up Bernie's him. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. That is a, that's a move. That's a power play right there. (laughs) It's so good. I mean, it's not good, but like, what a story. Some big gun energy. That's what that is. This was one of the times I threw the book on the ground and I screamed fuck at the ceiling. When they do find him in autopsy, him, I think the timing is such that he's definitely dead at this point when they line it up with witness accounts of, of mm. seeing Lizzie in town with a man who wasn't showing his face and was slumped in the front of the wagon. The, the final part of this piece of the puzzle is that no one knew who these women were. They kind of put their version of an APB out there. Like anyone know who these women are? They finally got a a clue by their clothing. They had a specific label on their clothing that they tracked down to a specific dealer in Newburgh, New York. They published a blurb in the newspaper asking for the public's health. A man named Thomas McQuillan finally came forward saying that his wife and daughter were missing. Oh, no! Yep. So, which one's Thomas? Have we met him? Yes, he was the father who owned the pub and then handed it down to his son, John. Okay. He went to identify his daughter's body, Sarah Jane, positively ID'd her. There was no access to his wife, Margaret, because she was already buried She had decayed too far and they couldn't keep her out. So Sarah Jane was able to be like refrigerated. So are these like grudge killings? Did she kind of go out of her way to track down the McQuillans? Because you were saying that one was killed first, like one was killed a good bit before the other. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's a grudge killing, but people speculate that when she first met Paul Halliday, at the employment office, she was looking at the job board and the names of those women, the, Mc- the McQuillan name was on the job board. And she did mention during her crime spree of stealing horses that she had mentioned to people that she wanted to find two women for a job. So it's quite possible she had it planned in her mind all the time to mm. look for these women specifically. The way it happened was she did go to their house, said her name was Mrs. Smith and said she needed domestic help, said like she saw them on the job board and she wanted Sarah Jane, but Margaret said that she was free. Sarah Jane didn't really want to go. So Margaret went with her first. And then a few days later, Lizzie comes back to the house and tells Sarah Jane her mother had broken her leg and needs her help and to come back to the farm with her to help. So Sarah Jane left with Lizzie again a few days later. I'm just super curious as to like, yeah. If she was looking for the sister in particular, this is like obviously all unfounded in my imagination, but I'm like, was the sister responsible for her breaking up with the boyfriend? Was he her first real love? Could she have not married six times and killed loads of people? If only 
If only the sister hadn't gotten in the way of her and her Nathaniel. It'd make for good drama TV. But honestly, I don't I don't know if we know that. Oh, yeah. No, as I said, it's 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 100 percent my imagination being inserted into the podcast. So just so everybody knows, none of that was based in fact. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's go back to fact, though. It is fun to speculate since it's, it's like over 100 years ago. So she she was transported to Justice Thayer's place and charged with homicide. At first, like the house, or I guess they kept her in his house and there was jail cells there. Like he lived there with his wife. I don't know. It's kind of weird. But it, they kept it open to the public so people could like walk in and like look at her like an animal in a zoo. Lizzie was searched by Constable Scott's wife. They found like money stashed, money in her right stocking, her left stocking had like $16 in bills. She was shackled to the couch and there was a big deal about keeping her safe because there was a growing mob of people who wanted to just hang her right there. Mm -hmm. And there was also talkings of a group of gypsies who were planning to break her out of jail. So it's just chaos from every side. (laughs) (laughs) They talked about how the, the gypsy group like split into two and were moving strangely. Like they were traveling in a way that like wasn't normal for them or their usual route. So people were like nervous about what they were planning. My favorite part. I know I say this (laughs) quite a few times, but this is honestly the funniest fucking thing. At some point, Lizzie needed to use the bathroom, so she was escorted to the outhouse by Constable Scott and Constable Nickerson. While she was in the outhouse, they heard a a kerthunk and something that sounded like a gun being cocked. So they, like, drew their weapons, and they were, like, tense, and they were waiting. But then Lizzie came out as if nothing had happened. Mm Mm-hmm. They searched the outhouse later. Someone had to go through the pit under the outhouse. Oh, no. <laughs> the the not-so-clean arm of the law. No. And they found they found a pistol, a thirty-two caliber handgun, short rounds for the gun, and a bottle of chloroform. Who was she trying to kill this time? <laughs> She's trying to get rid of evidence. Oh, but how did she have it on her? That's the thing. <laughs> they missed. They missed so much. Like so, she was like strip searched. Somehow hit a pistol on her, and a bottle of chloroform, and, and a box of bullets. Two boxes. Because like I know there are places in the female anatomy where you can hide things, but like not that much. <laughs> I know. It's such a mystery. <laughs> <laughs> And it gets weirder from there. So like, so obviously she was like weird and loud about it and like thought she got away with it. And then the next day she used the outhouse again. And when she was done with it, Scott knew to check the outhouse whenever she used it. And they found new stuff. They found a lady's gold watch and chain and two rings, which were later identified by Thomas McQuillan as Margaret and Sarah Jane's jewelry. Okay. Where did it go? She was still hiding jewelry on her. (laughs) (laughs) After she got rid of the pistol. 
I'm just imagining, like, there's there's only two places I'm really imagining all of this emerging from. I know. One, one is her nostril, like some weird magician, like weird magician just pulling strings of like jewelry out of her nostril. And we all know where the other place is. Like, I'm not going to say it, but it's not that roomy. Oh, my God. Maybe she is a witch. It always comes back to witchcraft. (laughs) So what happens next? So during her court hearing where she's being charged, they find Paul Halliday's body. A bunch of neighbors and, and other men who were frustrated with not being able to find him searched the house again. They noticed that the grains in the floorboard weren't matching up right. So they pulled up the floorboards and they found his body. He was found in the same way as the women were, and he was shot in the chest. And all the gunshots um, with the women and with Paul were all around the heart, which is probably something she learned from Dr. Bonsteele as to where the heart is in human anatomy. So she was to go to the Monticello jail, but they needed to transport her a ways to get to that jail. And they know that there were groups of people looking to hang her and there were groups of people looking to bust her out. Mm-hmm. So they did this like thing where they... Did they have decoys? Did they have decoy lizzies? They didn't have decoy lizzies, but they did put her in a tour wagon and not like a, like a constable wagon. I don't know what that means. They didn't put her in something that looked like it was transporting a, a prisoner. They put her in a wagon that looked like it was for like a visitor or like someone taking a tour of the the town. Okay. Okay. Um, so like yeah. a dignitary as opposed to like a, a convict. Yeah. So they got her in the wagon they had the horses go and non-stop as fast as they can and go to like the next town to switch out the horses so they could continue riding as hard and fast as they could and just keep going and not stop. So they switched out horses in towns and sometimes switched out wagons mm-hmm. so they couldn't be tracked or, you know, they weren't, they didn't stop. I love this like early version of like high speed chase. It's pretty action heavy. It's action packed story. There were some close calls with some people who were like waiting for her in like certain towns, mostly to gawk at her, but like some like threatened to hang her. And then so Lizzie gets to the jail. She's being taken care of by the sheriff there named Beecher. So Sheriff Beecher. And at some point she was searched again for hidden objects on her person. And instead of waiting to be found out, she just like stuck her hand in her clothes and turned out a silver pocket watch that was later confirmed to belong to Paul Halliday. Does she have like a drawer in her abdomen? Is that what she's been working on for all of these years? Is that why everybody's obsessed with her? Because she's like, hey baby, let me open my abdomen and check out what's inside. Or the, the lady knows the value of deep pockets. But where? Where are the pockets? This is the real thing that needs to be discussed in this podcast. How there is a woman who was a human pocket and she has not been recognized in history. I don't know what to say. I'm crying. 
Anyways, at this point, Lizzie was finally identified by her sister, Mary. Mary came forward. She still didn't want to have anything to do with her, but she did enough to admit she's my sister. And the district attorney at that point, he suspected that Lizzie had an accomplice because digging and moving bodies is an intense form of labor. Mm -hmm. And also there were two shovels at the scene. So it was kind of going around, did Paul help with the women and then she killed Paul? Or did she have an accomplice, maybe someone from like the gypsy camp or was it Levi Rogers? Someone. It's still unknown, but people suspect that she did have an accomplice. And then Lizzie finally kind of started talking, but she didn't tell the truth. She was like doing that thing again where she was hiding the truth in lies of being like a victim or a bystander. So according to her, some there were two men. Sometimes there were three men. Sometimes she didn't know these men. Sometimes the men were Paul Halliday and Thomas McQuillan. And that Paul and Thomas were apparently heavy drinkers. They would talk about swapping wives. They threatened Lizzie not to say a word. They killed the two women together. And Lizzie finally started expanding on the story once she's interviewed by a famous journalist named Nellie Bly, who's a badass and deserves her thing all on her own. Nellie Bly is amazing. Is she the woman who went to Bedlam? Was it Bedlam or Blackwell? I think it was Blackwell's. Sorry, yeah, the one in New York where she like pretended that she was insane. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, she's fascinating. She interviews Lizzie. Okay, cool. And has a lot of writing on her. So, so she goes to trial specifically for three deaths, Paul, Margaret, and Sarah Jane. Lizzie's past still hasn't come to light yet, but it will very soon because people are trying to find witnesses, talk to her family, and Nellie Bly does a lot of heavy lifting with research, going all the way back to her childhood. And at some point, while she was being held by Sheriff Beecher, His wife, Mary, was like her keeper taking care of her. Lizzie tried to strangle Mary to death, but was unsuccessful. At some point, Lizzie became physically ill. And it was during the winter, so that she had like a stove in her cell. And they brought her like a proper bed instead of a cot with like a quilt to try to keep her from dying. And then they came into the cell and her her bed was on fire. She just set her bed on fire. Arson and murder seem to be her two favorite things. So if she can't go through with the murder, then that obviously leaves the arson. Did she try and kill herself as well? Yes, several times. But they suspected she wasn't serious because each time she did it when she knew people were going to come around and catch her before anything serious happens. A lot of it was like, ripping fabric off her dress and trying to strangle herself. At some point, she took a tool from the stove, broke the window, hid a shard of glass, and then waited until, like, the afternoon to cut her neck. And then after that, they chained her to the bed so that she couldn't reach the window or the stove. And then she still managed to, like, find a piece of metal from the sole of her shoe and grind it down on the floor and try to like cut her arms with this piece of metal. 
Um, again, unsuccessful because it was pretty dull. What does seem surprising to me is the fact that she had a stove in the first place. Not even yeah. just from a safety perspective, but from a like, I wouldn't have expected prisoners to be treated with that level of comfort. This is also a story of people not learning from their mistakes <laughs> when it comes to Lizzie. Like husbands taking her back or letting her keep her stove after setting fire to her bed. So she she had a whirlwind of a time in prison waiting for her trial. But finally, her trial did arrive. The room was packed, crowds spilling out the door. It, it was going to be a singular trial, so there wasn't going to be a se- separate trial for her sanity. It mm-hmm. was going to determine her guilt and her sanity. Okay. So um, witness accounts of Lizzie going to find Sarah Jane, bringing Margaret to the farm. That all came out because there was a neighbor who was there and overheard them. She even went to Margaret and was like, you shouldn't go with her. She doesn't, there's something about her that doesn't feel right. But I don't know how much stock you can put in a witness statement like that. The women's jewelry, the chloroform, the pistol, and the bullets were also admitted into evidence. This is my other favorite moment, Maria. Another one? (laughs) Yeah, this is amazing. Okay. I'm excited. Everyone's super tense in this courtroom. A witness named John McHugh was tasked with digging out items Lizzie dropped into the outhouse pit and keeping them safe. McHugh presented the handgun to the court and said that he wrote his name on a piece of paper and stuck it down the barrel of the gun in order to prove that it was the same pistol later. He tried to retrieve the slip of paper, but it was stuck too far down the barrel, and he was struggling to get it out when he noticed that the gun was still fully loaded. Oh, no! (laughs) And Lizzie, for most of her trial, she was very lethargic. She wasn't looking anyone in the eye. Her head was down. She was very quiet. But this was like the moment where her like attention snapped up and she was like watching this man like a hawk. The judge ordered McHugh to put the gun down. The defense attorney picked it up and immediately dropped it. <laughs> and everyone tightened their buttholes. <laughs> of course he just wants to know the gun. Um, So an officer finally took it outside, emptied it, brought it back, and McHugh could fish out the piece of paper and was like, aha, see, the same handgun. And that's kind of when the part of the trial where it came out where it was a double action revolver, it requires a lot of energy to work and had a limited number of bullets. And with the autopsy report, it also showed the way the gunshots were on the body and they were all kind of in a close range and, and the shots were close together. It They concluded that you would need like a steady hand mm-hmm. to shoot. Not looking good for Lizzie at this point. The second day of court was used to determine Lizzie's motive. I think the prosecutor arg- wanted to argue that it was for physical possessions and money there's a thing that came out later how she had like $2,500 in, in a bank account that occurred after 
the murder of the peddler named Hutch, whom people suspect she murdered with Levi Rogers. They think it was a lot of money, motivation. She had women's jewelry on them. And medical professionals who were hired to look at her were split down the middle. They couldn't figure out a, a real motive. They couldn't figure out why she was calm sometimes and, and not calm other times. And her past history with staying in an asylum finally came out. So the defense was saying she didn't know what she was doing. But the rebuttal to that was that the murders were cold and calculated. There was planning involved. She attempted to hide evidence. It does seem like she knew at least what she was doing and that it was maybe not wrong. I don't know, but that she would be in trouble for it. And then the final day of court, she was examined one final time. And they found a pot of gold (laughs) and an automobile hidden in her clothes. If you just stick your hand down her dress at any point, (laughs) just come out with some gold pieces. Gold pieces and a donkey. (laughs) During her last examination before this uh, final day, she had to be held down by several men. Because she'd bite, kick, headbutt. She was like overpowering them. I guess it's not really important, but I I love how she overpowers men a lot. So the final day, the final doctor testified that due to the condition of Lizzie's hair, skin, and perspiration, they were indicative of a sane person. Oof. Hold on. Yeah, we're going to get some junk science. So, if you have good hair, Mm -hmm. you are sane? Yeah, back then they were saying that. I mean, reasons were given for why insanity and skin condition were very good at determining a mental illness. I I don't know. Just want to leave that there. Don't even (laughs) need to go any further into it. Yeah. L'Oreal could have a new campaign slogan. L'Oreal, because you're sane. They also used her head shape. Like they wanted to say her head shape was indicative of her insanity. I have heard about that before, all right. Yeah, she had like a a rather like large forehead and it kind of like tapered at the top. And they had this whole thing where like they wanted to take a cast of her head to show that her head was a abnormal shape and therefore she's crazy. Bunk. I still think the hair thing is weirder. (laughs) (laughs) So this is critical. If she's found guilty, she'd be the first woman ever to be sentenced to the electric chair. How long has the electric chair been? Can we have a brief history of the electric chair? Yes. So we're in 1893 right now. The first ever electrocution took place in 1890. So this is only like three years later. The first person to ever die by electric chair was a man named William Kemmler in New York, and it was a botched electrocution. They needed to electrocute him several times before he died. Terrible, painful death. It gave the electric chair the nickname Old Sparky. Lovely. Yep. 
because of the history of the electric chair, the governor of the state of New York was watching Lizzie's trial very closely and was not about to have his governance be the one to send the first woman ever to the electric chair. Interesting. So we've got like political panhandling or whatever going on in the background. Oh, yeah. It ended up saving her life. She was found guilty. She was found sane. She was sentenced to the electric chair. But Governor Roswell Pettibone Flower, love that name, basically hired a bunch more like medical practitioners to examine her while she was awaiting her death sentence. And his reasoning was if he could prove that she was, quote, insane now, even though she wasn't during the trial, he could pardon her from the death sentence and just give her life in an asylum, which is basically what happened. I thought she actually got electrocuted. So no, she just got sentenced to it. Yeah, she got sentenced to it. Was not the first woman to die by electric chair. And... So when she was being escorted out of the court, she bit down on Sheriff Beecher's hand and he was like prepared for this bite. So he was wearing his finest pigskin gloves, but she still bit so hard. It still went down to the bone. Yeah. And his hand got infected. And the doctors were like, we're going to have to amputate your arm from the elbow down. Oh, no. I shouldn't laugh. Because this is like way before like penicillin and stuff. Yep. Uh, And because of this, the press reported that Lizzie had a poisonous bite. She was like so full of rage that the rage went into her teeth and would poison her victim with a bite. Isn't it nice to see that the press was full of shit a hundred years ago as well? (laughs) Oh, so good. So what happens next? So she she ends up spending a long time in the Matawan State Hospital. She is there for quite a while. She's um, she goes through bouts of like violent behavior. And then at some point she kind of like calms down she applies to get paul halliday's military pension and people were like no but there was technically no law against it so she won and then they bought and then they passed the law and did they pass the law because of her yeah yeah okay so she had some positive impact on society (laughs) silver lining in an indirect way yeah her final victim Hold on. She didn't stop after prison. No. And it's it's really sad because you'd think, like, she's caught now. She shouldn't do much damage. Unfortunately, she is one final victim. She does attempt to strangle another, like, an attendant, but she survives. She's really half-assing it now these days. That's <laughs> how many attempted murders. Yeah. Come on, Lizzie. <laughs> A woman named... Nellie Wicks, she's 23 years old. She's the he- she becomes head attendant at the Matawan Hospital. She's very soft-spoken, so Lizzie takes to her very quickly. Lizzie loves her. Nellie Wicks ends up trusting Lil- Lizzie. She would often 
go into her cell to clean up when she doesn't have like anyone else around and there's like no backup. She um, would let Lizzie walk around unrestrained and just kind of like free roam when she was Mm -hmm. there. And Lizzie's love of her became an obsession. The admins there warned Wicks about her past saying you shouldn't let her walk around unrestrained. Wicks is like, oh, nonsense. The admins would talk of it as Lily loved Nellie the way a man loves a woman. So obviously she deserved to die. It's weird how they viewed that obsession and then immediately like went sexual with it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it could have been. Who's to say? But I don't think there's anything really straightforward with Lizzie. Nellie Wicks got engaged and she was going to leave the job. And the admins warned her not to tell Lizzie that she was leaving. Wicks told Lizzie and Lizzie said straight out, you won't leave me. And after Wicks explained to her that she was leaving and why, Lizzie said twice, I wouldn't try it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Creepy. I mean, why didn't she just turn around and go, you're right. You're right, Lizzie. I am going to stay with you forever. And then just not come back. I, I don't know. Um, it... You don't even have to answer that. That was rhetorical. <laughs> I mean, she, she was able to capture the attention of a lot of people in her life. Mm-hmm. And she would... Several people said she would like point to her head and say that her head shape was the same head shape as Napoleon and that it allowed her to control people. Seems legit. (laughs) Yes. So at some point, I think it was her final day on the job. Lizzie was unrestrained, followed Wicks into a storage room, took a pair of scissors from Wicks' belt pushed her all the way inside, locked the door from the inside so it couldn't be unlocked from the outside, and stabbed her with the scissors 200 times. Oh, wow. Yeah, in the face and the neck. Oh, no. Yeah. That makes it, I don't know why, but that makes it so much worse. Yeah, it's, it's incredibly sad. She's a young woman, engaged, last day of the job. She, she died in surgery. So, like, people did eventually break down the door And it took a bunch of strong men to, like, get her off and, like, restrain her. And, yeah, Nellie Wicks died in surgery two hours later. And she ended up being the first female corrections officer to be killed in the line of duty. And she's given a memorial um, on some corrections-based websites. So even today, she's memorialized. Lizzie Halliday's never mentioned in those, which is good, I think, too not prop up with the serial killer like we're doing right now <laughs> oh god damn it what are we doing here maria i'm like as i mentioned in the last episode like legit kind of conflict conflicted about this yeah especially because we're giving her the first two-part episodes it's just that there's so much in the story like i said i, I did want to like focus more on like how people tr- treated mental illness back then and that like even though she did have modern day like serial killer tendencies, uh, I don't know. It's 
a lot of a lot could have been avoided, but it, you know. And also, not a lot of people know female serial killers all that much. It's still, it's just another facet of society in which women are really talked about. People think serial killers are men. That's how I'm justifying this in my own mind. And particularly because it's not all poison, because a lot of female serial killers, it's just talking about like poison. Mm -hmm. It's to not erase that side of female history. But I know we've been making light of like bits and pieces throughout the last two episodes. Mm -hmm. That's just the style of the podcast to a certain extent as well. But like, like categorically condemn her actions throughout her lifetime. 100%. Yeah. I I think in the first episode, I, I talked about how I went through a wild range of emotions where something like her hiding a bunch of things on her body is hilarious. But then you hit certain points where you go, wow, what a terrible, disgusting thing. Mm-hmm. So let's wrap it up. Where does Lizzie end? Unfortunately, her time at this hospital, um, there's not a whole lot of information because her records are sealed and private, even to this day. So we can't access those. And she eventually died at the hospital. She was in solitary confinement for the rest of her life after the murder of Nellie Wicks. The New York Times announced her death by titling the article The Most Hated Woman in America. Mm -hmm. When questioned about or admonished about Nellie Wicks, killing Nellie Wicks, Lizzie just smiled and said, she won't leave me now, which is awful. And she died of acute kidney failure failure while in the hospital. She died in June 28th, 1918, but the story is not over. Okay. Super creepy. Good old Sheriff Beecher. He kept a hold of Lizzie's infamous pistol and proudly displayed it in his office. He then handed down the pistol to his son, Howard which then got handed down to Howard's stepson, Jim Mahoney. Jim Mahoney's friend, Smith Loomis, asked to borrow the gun to shoot some rats with it, except what he meant was a person and not an actual animal. Smith was infatuated with a girl named Emily, who had turned him down for being too aggressive. By her account, he was basically her stalker, Smith saw her with another man and claimed Emily was being unfaithful to him. And on November 1st, 1924, Smith walked up to a car where Emily was with her date, shot Emily point blank in the chest with Lizzie's gun. He then turned it on himself. His wounds weren't fatal. He survived, went to trial, He pled insanity and he was sent to the Matawan Asylum for the Criminally Insane. So he ended up in the same asylum as Lizzie did. The newspapers called for the gun to be melted down and destroyed forever. I think people are very superstitious. So even after death, Lizzie's gun still inadvertently ended up killing people. That's up there with the Twinkie defense. It wasn't me, it was the gun. I just really hate people sometimes. Yeah. I really hate 
that you get murdered for turning somebody down on a date. Yeah, yeah, it's frustrating and it, it fills me with rage, Maria. It's like, I'm just done, Morgan. I'm just done. <laughs> um, but yeah. on that upbeat note, <laughs> thank you so much for telling the tale of quite extended episodes <laughs> if you have made it through this far <laughs> morgan just before we go you're working mm -hmm. on another podcast at the moment is there any news you can give us about it i'm currently working on a six episode podcast called shoe bones it's a horror anthology series it should come out sometime in the earlier half of 2021 Perfect. And if anybody wants to follow you on social media so that they can discover the podcast when it comes out, where do they go to? Oh, what's my Twitter? So it's Morgan the Human. But um, I do have a Twitter account for Shoebones. So they can search for Shoebones or at Bones Shoe. Okay, perfect. And yeah. as per usual... We are the Phenomena Podcast on Instagram and on Facebook. I am debating a Twitter, but don't have one yet. If you want to interact with us, please do. And please like, share, review, tell all of your friends and just <laughs> spread the word to help us spread the word about women who have been forgotten. And I promise that I will come up with an uplifting episode sometime before the end of this season. Um, so thanks again, Morgan, and thanks, everybody, and have a lovely week. Bye!